0: Welcome to Inside the Hive. This is Joe Hagan. I'm here with Emily Jane Fox. Hello, Emily.
1: Hello. Good morning. Los Angeles time.
0: What a morning it is. You've already received a call first thing this morning. And who was that call from?
1: Well, it's a it's a big day in Hive world. Michael Cohen has been released from prison.
0: Michael Cohen. And
1: Michael Cohen, a a Hive favorite, a, a longtime subject of mine and he is now officially home after serving uh, just a little bit more than a year in federal prison in Otisville, New York. And he... I spoke to him this morning, uh, not long after he got home, and I think it's been a real trip. I think uh, going to prison is is what it is, um, and I think coming home from prison is a whole other animal. I think that uh, for the last month or so he's been in solitary confinement. And it was in part because uh, he was quarantining when the Department of Justice decided that people in prisons and, and the prison in Otisville decided that its its uh, inmates were not safe to be there because of the coronavirus. Uh, they started quarantining people and the way they did it, at least for Michael Cohen, was that he was put in solitary confinement. Now while he was quarantining there the department of justice and bureau of prison uh changed the way that they were going to let people out so michael for a time was supposed to get out at the beginning of may and then the department of justice rolled that back and so he just stayed in solitary confinement because he went back into the regular prison population then he would have to quarantine again once he was eventually going to be let out for another 14 days and That's a
0: long time to
1: be in solitary confinement.
0: He was quarantined within the quarantine. That's exactly right. He had he had several layers of quarantining. That's That's exactly right. Unbelievable. The psychological impact of being completely alone for over a month. Yeah, I think I think it's like twenty
1: three hours in your cell. You only get eight or so minutes on the phone every week. And Uh, He said his body hurts and uh, he is very happy to be home with his family and uh, I think we'll we'll see what happens from here. I mean after Paul Manafort got released from prison now Michael Cohen is released from prison Michael Flynn looks like he will never spend time in prison after after pleading guilty and then not pleading guilty and then the Department of Justice dropping the case. I don't think that anyone who was involved in the Russia investigation is currently in prison. Roger Stone has not yet been sentenced, but I would imagine that the president is on his way to thinking about, at least thinking about a pardon. Uh, It's crazy when you think about if you told either one of us two years ago that right now there would be no one with any real consequences, lasting consequences for their involvement in the Russia investigation, or their dealings with with President Donald Trump, I don't know that either of us would have believed you.
0: It's amazing that when Michael Cohen went into prison, prison, there was a Russiagate. There was something called Russiagate, and now he's emerged from prison, and now there's Obamagate. The entire story has been reverse-engineered, or attempted to be reverse-engineered, by President Trump with his um, conspiracy that, Obama tried to take him down in some kind of very hazy, vague way that has not, never been explained fully. But um, And it's such a, uh, you know, it's transparently a political election year uh, distraction to both energize um, his base and to kind of take attention away from the thing that is consuming everybody's attention, which is the actual crisis in front of us and the mismanagement of it I just was tweeting this the other, a minute ago and I'm sorry I have to say that I tweeted something uh, as a part of our, our conversation you know what? but
1: I'm fine uh, if you say that what I hate is the construction so-and-so took to Twitter <laughs> so as long as you say yeah. I didn't take to Twitter I, t- I, would never I tweeted take that's to fine Twitter
0: it's not a I, thing
1: I hate that construction
0: well anyway, I, go I I'm going to avoid it but I just asked the question is Obamagate still a thing or was that just last week? Well, was and, it ever
1: a thing? No, it's never. It was just, no, it was, was never a, a
0: thing. It was just like a, you know, is it still a storyline, even whether it's true or not? Uh, is the
1: president and, still trying to make Obamagate happen? Right. What and so
0: saying. I think the mainstream media has already been like, oh, forget about it, They're ridiculous. And then the right wing media is going to stay on top of it because it uh, appeals to some of their, uh, to Trump's base. If
1: you were to trend forecast the GOP, I would say that Obamagate will go strong for them through the election. I don't think it's going to be the top buzzword from now until November 3rd, but it's going to be part of the lexicon, no doubt. It works for him, for for his segment of the population. I wonder, I have not done this because I would like to keep some shred of my sanity, but if you were to continue to watch Fox News, how many times it's been mentioned this week versus last week and how that compares to next week and the weeks going forward. I wonder how strongly it's staying part of their conversation.
0: Let's make a plan to review that and uh, do some analysis. I'm going to draft you to do that. I'll draft. I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. S- I'll, I'll take up the that, job. Mac. I'm going to go investigate that. Come back with a report next week.
1: You're a about, brave man,
0: Joe. Yeah, it's ugly, but somebody has to do it. Um, I mean, the interesting thing about it is it once again goes back to Trump's instincts Uh. For creating narratives, um, and this one works, I think for a reason. I I was talking to Obama's former political strategist David Pluff maybe a month and a half ago, when I asked him, "Hey, is Obama going to be a factor in this election? Is he? You know, how how might he help Joe Biden um, and get people excited?" And at the time, Pluff was saying, "You know." I don't think he'll be much of a factor. Usually ex-presidents aren't, you know, big deciding factors for voters. But suddenly, uh, you know, with Biden being absent, either strategically or because he can't break through in the media, Obama's been very forward. You know, he was has this commencement speech he gave to graduates last year, uh, last week, um, in a TV show produced by LeBron James. I, it was interesting because, one, it was a great idea. And I thought, this is something— regularly a president might do like why wasn't trump doing that you know he that he doesn't think volumes. like that right but then what obama said was so compelling it was um he was saying hey listen the world has been changed it's easy to be frightened by what you're going out into unbelievable economic devastation unemployment you've got a a a pandemic out there but he's saying you know it's 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 torn back the curtain and shown that the people who ordinarily you would think knew what they were doing who are in charge don't really know what's going on and he says this is an opportunity for you to go out and reinvent the world as you would like it to be and and it kind of jived a little bit with the story in the times over the weekend which is about Biden himself is out there consulting with Warren and and Bernie Sanders hey we got to come up with a platform that's radical this is an opportunity to reinvent things so well you know, for whatever it's worth, that was powerful. That was powerful rhetoric from Obama. And
1: well, it's also you, it's interesting the way that he he did not mention President Trump by name, but yeah. it was it was not Obvious. even veiled that he was referring to the president not being in charge of his own ship, which is unusual for a former president to even come close to jabbing a sitting president. Obviously, we were in the most unusual times, and I think that that it was a very effective and moving criticism, but also, as you said, the the message for young people going forward. I I think that the former President Obama will be an incredibly helpful surrogate going forward, but it makes me long for a candidate himself or herself, more importantly, uh, who will inspire that on their own. It's a tough pill to swallow when you say the best thing about a current candidate is their former boss being a surrogate for them. That doesn't well, say I, much about, I agree. about the current candidate.
0: And I agree with that. Um, although maybe in this stage of the cycle, and this is something we've talked about in the past, and I, you know, whether or not Biden's strategy of whole, you know of staying in the background right now is actually a strategic benefit or whether, oh. you know, because you're, I know I, you're you believe that he's not energizing um, voters enough and that he needs to spend every waking minute doing that up until Mm -hmm. the election. But we're in very strange context here, right? And because of the pandemic and because he's, you know, up till recently, it's worked because Trump has shot himself in the foot over and over again. Now Trump has unleashed this Obamagate thing, and other kinds in 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 the outrage of trying to undo the Russia gate thing which has lots of truth to it <laughs> that we know sure. right um he's using all of this to kind of smoke screen uh things so it may be time for Biden to come out and i did see like a little um instagram ad popped up on my screen recently be the first to know about Biden's vp pick sign here you know what i mean like sign up get did your you email and no, I didn't. I I mean, it's already you popping up on my screen. You want to be want to know? Okay. Well, I, I figure it'll come up on my New York Times it'll find news you. alert. It'll find you. It'll find me. Yeah. yeah. I f- I'll think I'll probably figure it out. But I mean, you know, and that's, you know, that's the, big, the next big move. And maybe that will mark the moment when Biden is going to come out from the bunker and he will appear as a package deal, right, with whoever he has chosen. And there's all this speculation. Is it Amy Klobuchar? Is it, you know... I'm going to be should Stacey we start a Abrams. pool all right so I you know I'm we didn't dis- talk
1: about this before so I'm putting you on the spot and I okay, actually no, don't I'll have do it, an sure. answer yeah. maybe maybe here's this because I don't have an answer yet next week come ready with your pick we're gonna we're gonna make a bet I don't know what the terms of the bet yet are and I don't know if okay. it's illegal to gamble like this I have no idea but we're gonna make a we're bet we're doing
0: it we're being re- we're recording ourselves I'm ready Doing something potentially um, illegal, but hey, you know we're the
1: dumbest we're, criminals there ever, ever was.
0: Well, you, um, well, I I'm the dumbest criminal. You. I'm taking, I'm <laughs> taking full
1: credit for this. Um, but the bet is going to be no low stakes, but I'm excited for it. Okay, well, I'm high stakes gonna, intellectually.
0: I'm going to um, consult with my Vegas odds makers, and I'll be back to you next week.
1: Great. I think, I think uh, this is a real tune-in event. Speaking of tune-in events, Joe, yeah. you have a great interview coming up. I can't wait to hear it. Tell me all about it.
0: I'm really excited about this interview because the subject, uh, one of the su- two people I spoke with uh, this week, John Chu, the director of Crazy Rich Asians, which was like a smash hit um, last year, global, global hit, great movie, and his editor, Myron Kirstein, who's sort of his kind of wingman and his creative projects um, are both on to talk about what's been going on in Hollywood and with their own project, which was in the Heights, the Lin-Manuel Miranda movie that was supposed to come out this summer. I got to see a rough cut of it a few months ago. It's, It's unbelievably great. I mean, it's like a joyful, you know, musical with dancing and singing and incredibly attractive leads. Um, I saw the play
1: years ago. I mean, probably 10 million years ago now. And I'm so excited to see it turn into a movie. The play was such a fantastic celebration. I can't wait to see the the movie. Well,
0: that's the, you know, and the joy of it is something I think we could all probably use right now. I mean, it would have been great if it had come out this summer, say Mm. on Netflix or name your streaming thing. I would have watched it. I would have paid a little extra to watch, you know, a brand new movie pop up on my— In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. But they made the decision to push it to next summer because they want to roll it out in the theaters. I mean, and one of the things we talk about in this interview is that— Uh, You know, John Chu had the option to put Crazy Rich Asians on a streaming service instead of going to the theaters, but he bet on the theaters and he won big.
1: It's so interesting to think about. I mean, we talk about this a lot in my house because um, I live with someone who is very much in the middle of Hollywood. And uh, the the tastes for everything, I think, will change post-corona, even when there is a vaccine, though we have no idea when that will be. I think people are going to get used to the idea of watching blockbusters at home. Look how well Trolls did, right? That movie just exploded at home, and it gives, I'm sure, a a lot of theater owners pause and studios lots to think about. Um, I, for one, I love going to the movies. I also love watching movies at home. And if you told me a theater was never going to exist again, I would say, okay. It doesn't really affect my life so much. I think that the way we talk about it here and, and I'm very curious what you think and what you talk about in your interview is that um, there will be movie theaters that only offer like the Marvel movie, right? And it'll be maybe like a, a Disney experience to go and see it and there will be a Disney store at the movie theater. Um, but you're not necessarily going to have a movie theater that's showing the Marvel movie and the, the indie pick and... The rom com that you have now, that that mix, that a theater will instead be spaced seating and showing, you know, four theaters showing the Avengers rather than uh, every movie theater packed and showing a variety of
0: different movies. And we and we get into that a little bit in the conversation, exactly. And uh, before uh, we cue it up here, I just want to alert you to the back end of this interview. I ask uh, John Chu about the future of theaters and whether or not, how important they are. And he has some really just eloquent um, commentary about that that I want to cue you into and I hope that you'll listen to because um, it it was very moving, frankly, and uh, I think people are going to enjoy this interview. So let's listen to it. Without further ado, John Chu, director of Crazy Rich Asians and forthcoming In the Heights with his editor Myron Kirstein. Roll'em. Uh, We're here with the director, John Chu, of Crazy Rich Asians, and uh, his right-hand man and editor, uh, Myron Kirstein. Welcome, guys.
2: Thank you. What's going on? It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to have you here, uh, under these bizarre circumstances that we're all in nowadays. (laughs) Um, You know, I was thinking back several months ago, I... uh, when I first met John Chu uh, in an office, a bustling office in New York, where you were editing uh, your forthcoming film in the Heights, and there were all yes. these people together in an office, <laughs> hanging out, sitting, looking at editing screens, and talking—not just about... together,
2: stuffed together in small rooms.
0: Yeah, small right. Yeah. Which is basically, you know, that's how how business gets done uh, nowadays. But, um, and I also was lucky enough to see sort of a rough cut of the film. And I won't be giving anything away by saying it's like, uh, wow, what a colorful, beautiful, musical, joyful film that you made called in the Heights. For those who don't know, it is Lin-Manuel Miranda's, uh, first musical in the Heights, which I guess is partially based on his own, you know, upbringing and sort of, um, Puerto Rican areas of, uh, New York. Mm -hmm. And, um, You know, I there was I was thinking this summer is going to be, you know, a big musical blockbuster in theaters, as you did, too. So that's changed. That's changed. Yes. Yes. Tell me how you learned that things were going to be different for you and this film is going to be pushed uh, to next year.
2: Um, Well, I learned um, I mean, this is always a discussion you know right when i we were mixing the music when and the whole movie when um when the nba shut down and trump made his speech and tom hanks got it and the world was crumbling in all around us so we were in the heart of it in new york and um my family had just moved back to la so i had to quickly figure out, am I going back to LA? Cause I don't want these airlines to shut down and get stuck without my family during this time, yeah. um, knowing that babysitters weren't happening, school wasn't happening anymore. So um, the temperature went up real quick. Um, and so we had to sort of assess where we were and by doing that and realizing, oh, the companies that were doing our coloring or doing our visual effects were shutting down Already and not even allowing their workers to go in or travel anymore, uh, we realized it was very serious. So I sort of saw it as, um, oh, this is, our movie's going to be at risk because we were we we were tight anyway of, of when we could finish and when the movie was coming out. Um, so it was a long discussion from that day one um, of uh, of is this going to come out during the summer and what our movie theater is going to be at that point. Um, okay. And then we decided ultimately over a phone call a couple phone calls probably like uh, several weeks later, uh, we did not make
0: decisions up, up front. And can you give me some insight into like, I mean, nobody knows anything. That's one yeah. thing, you know, you just, there's no telling uh, when theaters will be open again. But but we do know that other films that were slated for the summer made different decisions, right? Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. go out on Netflix or to come out on a streaming service or like Trolls, you know, I, I watched that with my children recently. It was 20 bucks. I'm yep. sure that, you know, maybe they made their money. I think they probably did okay. But mm-hmm. like, but you sort of, I know that famously you uh, are very dedicated to having your film seen in the theater. At least you were with Crazy Rich Asians, right? Is that similar yeah. to here or?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I love streaming. I, I, We were watching all the time. I think great, amazing quality stuff obviously happens on streaming. Um, for me, we made this movie to be on the big screen, uh, a musical of this scope. Of this size, um, you know, we shot it uh, anamorphic, uh, so it could span the whole screen. Uh, the way the colors are, the way you experience this as a community, uh, where people should be singing along, dancing in the aisles, like that is something. Is uh, again not all my movies, but this movie in particular, Crazy Rich Asians in particular, had a very specific purpose of getting people together. Um, that is part of the experience, not just the movie itself. And Myron and I have talked a lot about um, you know how movies affected us when we were young and its place in our culture now of getting people out of their homes, out of uh, out of their cell phones, um, and um, and together to be with each other. So, uh, for this one in particular, that was a big, a big thing for us. Of course, you know, with Warner brothers, they have HBO max, which is coming. Um, and so there's always temptations to put it over there, but obviously that was also not ready yet It's about to come out, but at that time it wasn't fully. And, and, and in the end of the day, that was not the experience that, um, I particularly wanted our movie to be. And I, I know Lynn agreed with that. So,
0: right. Um, yeah. So, and he was involved in the discussions. I take it because was he, is he a producer on it or?
2: Yeah, um, we were, we were, a lot of us are. We have some great producers: Scott Sanders, Lynn, of course, Kiara, who's our writer, and Bregman, who's done a lot of uh, movies. Uh, and so, all of us sort of got together with the studio because the studio sort of laid out the different scenarios for us. They were very actually open to how we wanted to do it because they also did not have the answers, and it right. wasn't one conversation that came to the conclusion it was let's have like three or four different conversations as every week is a different story that that is happening with where we are at even to this day they're not i think it's like we still don't quite fully know what is going to be happening in these theaters so um so you never know but uh Uh, but that's where we we landed that that next year for us because it's coming out um june 16th of next year uh was best for us because you know when we did crazy rich asians um there was a whole ecosystem that had to build uh, the, the movie the, the book was big but but th- people didn't really know our stars yet we had to really make them movie stars and so you had to get them in magazines you have to get them in articles you have to get them on those talk shows daytime late night all that stuff so you are building an ecosystem around these actors who, and you be, make them stars. And in a way, it's almost bigger than the movie itself because after this movie, you're creating a new lane for these actors in Crazy Witch Asians. It was all Asians um, from all around the world. Uh, and in, in The Heights, it's uh, mostly Latinx actors, young, um, some vets, but, but, but really putting them on the map so that their next movie that's not with us uh, they're a star in that movie, um, and that that is the real power of when you make a movie with a studio that has uh, that that has that kind of representation, and you get to cast people who n- never got the chance to to be in those roles um, because they're always the side characters or always playing stereotypes. And this one, they really get to blossom, and that is the bigger, lasting legacy of these these movies, Crazy Rich and I believe in The Heights will have that, and that takes time that takes uh, a whole mechanism of a company getting, spending tens of millions of dollars getting behind that. So that was also a big part of my, my decision to.
0: And I can see that because in the Heights is um, the cast is all these really young, beautiful, incredibly talented, you know, actors and actresses, many of whom you've never seen before. And this was going to be their splash debut and you need to build around that. I was just talking to somebody. um, I was talking to somebody at Netflix yesterday, similar to what you just said. They were saying, you know, listen, we're long, far as advanced as anyone in, in Hollywood. We can't tell you what's going to happen next, you know, in terms of, you know, how are you going to adapt to where we're at right now, you know, with the studio shut down. But um, and nobody able to work and when will, be, will we be able to work? You also have a um, some sort of production deal, right? With it with Apple? Uh,
2: um, I we have it with uh, uh, Fox Disney.
0: Fox so, Disney. Sorry.
2: Uh, so it's uh, Hulu, Disney plus, uh, free FX, all those, those companies. So yeah, the 20th century. You, yeah.
0: Have you, has anybody contact, do you know, are there conversations around, um, trying to figure out how they can have productions again? You know,
2: there are, de- there are a lot of conversations. I am not fully privy to it, to those uh. conversations um we are you know for us we're just trying to make sure the scripts are in place so we can go shoot i was supposed to go shoot a pilot for abc um in the summer and so we are instead focusing on developing the other scripts making sure it's all rock solid while we figure out how to even shoot um, in the next six months so that's but i'm not privy to all the union conversations that i'm sure every Uh, every union's having uh, for their, for whether it's their actors or the directors or the anybody, I think there's such a huge responsibility that no one wants to put anyone in danger. And so um, they have to protect, uh, put those, uh, you know, the big companies are probably, let's go shoot, let's go shoot, let's go shoot. Um, And, uh, but I know, you know, a lot of people who even run those companies are, you know, they're, they are good people. They are human beings and they don't want to, um, they don't want to rush it.
0: As well, yeah. Well, just like we were talking about with people, when the good weather comes out, people want to get out. I know the, you know, the creatives want to get out there and make their stuff. You know, I mean, Myron, you were really at the at the outset of directing your first um, TV show, right? I mean, uh, or an episode of a show, and suddenly that was all put on the back burner. Um, Yeah. uh, I think, were you in Canada or something? Where were you shooting?
3: <clears throat> yeah, I was shooting in Vancouver. Uh, actually, I was shooting the show that I had edited the pilot for with John, the show called Home Before Dark, which just came out on Apple Plus. And uh, I, was, I actually left New York um, while John was finishing the mix uh, for the film. And um, I was 10 days into prep and two days into the shoot, and they shut it all down. So, yeah, there you go. So
0: um, now, yeah, now we're in this situation where um, I just I heard uh, from somebody else I know who's in the film business, you know, I uh, shouldn't say the name of the actress he was talking about. Famous actress proposing, oh, I'm going to take a crew up to Maine and we're going to quarantine for two weeks and we're going to and we're going to we're going to make a film happen anyway. You know, um, does that seem plausible to you?
3: no. I mean right. I mean I don't think this micro bubble idea of um, quarantining everybody for two weeks and then shooting is a reality because one person gets sick and then you know there's lawsuits and I mean right. I don't know maybe someone someone's gonna do it. Someone's crazy enough to do it, but I don't think it's a reality. Yeah,
2: I mean I think I think you bring up a good point about um sort of the bigger conglomerate the big the studios making movies is different than independent people making movies you know there's so much money against your production so you're you have insurance you have all this you know stuff and if anything goes wrong well who what insurance company is going to cover any of that stuff i don't know unless you have very i don't know i don't know how i guess it's up to that of at that level um there's so many other legal uh, ramifications with that i think a crew can just go and shoot anything i mean whatever like yeah. but is that safe i don't know who knows i think the testing is going to be such a huge part of it um you know they ted um Sarandos from uh, netflix wrote that article in la times about how they're doing it in uh, south korea and other parts of the world where some in some countries testing is very available so they can do it one way in other places testing is not as available uh, but they have less cases, so they do it another way. Uh, but some of those things were very interesting. Like they um, every four hours, the crew has to stop and wash their hands every three or four hours, like that. Wow. Every morning, everyone's getting their temperature taken, um, and they have a doctor on set, and they're getting so. And of course, they're the quarantine before, and then uh, so uh, before they even there. And there's no guests. There's nothing. No in and out. You're like there. So yeah. who knows, like what how that all pans out, but
0: um, I guess we'll find out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've thought about that, you know, there, and there are supposed, you know, there are films being made in Sweden and these other countries where, um, and I don't know how much of an option that is for you and whatever you're doing, but um, you know, but at the end of the day, your audience is trapped at home, (laughs) you know? So that's like uh, the inability to put it in a theater, but you know, uh, these streaming Networks like Apple and Disney Plus and Netflix—they they, they have they need content, right? Totally. Um,
2: I think the big, the, also the other myth of movie theaters is that they're packed all the time. Um, whereas actually, like Monday through Friday, their capacity is less than fifty percent at their most busy. So right. if they are so by maxing out a theater by fifty percent, you know it'll affect opening weekends for sure. But if you're the only movie and there's only new movie, and you have more theater, more screens, then maybe that can compensate for those things. I think that's what's going to be interesting about seeing Tenet from Warner Brothers, seeing Mulan from uh, Disney. How do they take? A, how do they use the lack of movies to help compensate, uh, to give them more screens, to maybe possibly match up? Then the question becomes: How comfortable is? Are, are the people at home going to be to go out to a theater? Maybe places will be and other places will not be as uh, yeah. but a majority of the money made by uh big tentpole movies are uh, are the big cities so that th- these are all the questions that we keep sort of again not my job but uh, yeah, like yeah swirling around
0: well it offers a really fascinating kind of um ethical slash political um choice for the for the theaters because there are people gathering in this country right now yeah. and some people don't like it. You know, you see on Twitter or on the news, you know, videos of people just converging at beaches and even in LA. Right. Um, And by the way,
2: just, just, and Myron can probably speak to this too. Like we are, you know, Myron is in charge of the editorial crew and I'm in charge of the movie. And so we, as leaders of these people who have to come in and they're going to, they're, they're team players. They're going to come and and help you make your movie. Like that's what we were born to do. That's why we're in this business. That's why we've survived in this business. And if we ask them to show up, they're going to show up. And so we, as leaders, what I really grew to realize is we actually have to be more responsible as the leaders to help protect them. Um, You know, when a company that has paid for all of this is breathing down your neck to go, 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 don't stop. Don't fly back to LA, keep making the movie. You only have three more weeks. Don't worry. It'll get better. And we'll assess at that point. Meanwhile, our crew who is working on the, you know, on the mix or whatever, their kids are being sent home. So they don't have babysitters and they're, they're struggling emotionally to re- figure out, how are they going to get their next job if this good thing goes down, let alone take care of the kid who's at home and be here and putting themselves at risk and could potentially put their parents at risk who are also now moved into their house. Like there are all these questions that came up literally while we are, uh, and, 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 and when the federal government's not making those decisions for you, uh, and at that point, the uh, states had not made those decisions for you. Uh, that responsibility fell on us. Um, and, uh, and that was hard. That was hard to, well, it was both hard and empowering to realize, oh, we can be those people to help our crew um, and instead of just making this movie. So that was, the and, and, and again, Myron, you can speak to some of, on your side, you were at that point, now you were both part of our crew, but also leading his own crew in Vancouver. So that's <laughs> more difficult. And the idea to shut down your production at that point must have been very difficult.
3: Yeah, there was even debate, um, there, you know, there was uh, four editors on the new TV show, and I was a, uh, also a, a producer this season, and they are like, we just want to work one more week. It's like, you can't work one more day. You have to go home. But at the same time, nobody really wanted to make that decision <laughs> because there was so much unknown out there. And I was like, I don't think you guys should be sitting in crowded offices together. Meanwhile, you know, <laughs> you know that your crew in New York working on the film is also um, uh, trying to uh, finish the film for John and you're saying, well, what's the safety um, there with, you know, five people on a mixed stage, you know, and eight people in an edit room. So it's, um, it, was, it, was, um, it was unnerving.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, um, that's a lot of, that's a big, uh, a lot of decision you know, to put on a on a director who's already got a million decisions on their head, suddenly it's like your whole crew's health and well being. I mean, I guess, uh,
2: and uh, half of your crew wants you to keep, is like be the leader and keep things moving, and the other half of the crew is like protect us.
1: Hi, it's Radika Jones, editor in chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines
0: So the job that you do, Myron, editing, can plausibly be done alone, right? And I know that you've now moved your entire editing operation into your living room. Is that uh, what's going on nowadays? And you're you're still working on, on uh, In the Heights.
3: Well, I, there- I was up to uh, uh, about a week ago. Uh, so the good news is, um, if there's any good news to take from this craziness is... Um, you know, because we had a little bit more time on our hands, uh, John asked us to look at, um, or asked me rather, to uh, look at a few more things for the film. So Warner Brothers granted us a the ability to set up a editing machine. I use an Avid, and um, and off to the races and strangely enough um with technology these days you could do things pretty seamlessly even working remotely with john was a uh, was pretty interesting and, and fun and, and we were able to um shorten the film a little bit and um you know uh yeah just polish a little bit more and um and that was great it was uh, yeah. it was actually a lifesaver um just to keep my sanity, just to be working on something, but also um, to have a little bit more income um, when suddenly uh, everything had stopped.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, this is one of the interesting things. So two two issues there. One, keeping one's sanity uh, is something for everybody to deal with right now. Everybody's used to being on the go and having their outlet and doing their thing. And especially in filmmaking, you're so used to being around lots of other people, and it's partly a management job um, of directing people, right? So, um, but Myron, you were telling me recently that, um, you know, some editors are being offered jobs to, like, uh, edit together graduation videos for, like, uh, people who could afford to have such a thing done, right? I mean, people are finding other ways to, you know, occupy themselves with the skills they have. I mean... Um, what, el- what are you guys hearing out there from people in your business? How are they, what are the, how are they proposing to adapt right now? I mean, are they just having to sit on the beach until this is over or, uh, what, what other things are you hearing out there about, you know, while people are sitting, what are they doing creatively with themselves?
2: I think it's really hard for people. I think it's really hard because creativity takes space and time that are, are hard to, um, Sort of describe, but like 30 minute sessions in between trying to teach your kids math. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I think it's just, um, it, it's almost a waste of time. You can't be creative in 30 seconds uh, or 30 minute sort of bursts. Um, I think it took time for people to have their conversation with their families and figure out what the schedule will be. Um, I think ma- now it's a lot more settled than maybe it was back then. Although there are different pressures now. Um, but I think that that half of it was like, what is happening right now? Getting used to the rhythm of being with your family. And many of us, you know, go shoot for five months and are away for a long time. Or edit for eight months, six months, and then come back to their families. And so we, our families are used to a rhythm. It's but that, And, and so when you get into that, you actually can survive it but when it suddenly gets disrupted and then you don't know the lines anymore i think the the defining the schedule was a huge hurdle that everyone had to get through then comes the what jobs are going to be available then comes the worry of actual survival of um like like myron was saying like is he going on to another job what's what is that next job who's shooting like that is very scary we go from job to job that's what our even as a director, you're only as good as your last movie, and I could go out of work tomorrow for five years. Like I have no idea. So, um, you know, again, our families are used to that, but this is more uncertain than even those times. So I worry about, yeah, our music editors. I worry about our uh, VFX people and the things that we know that are such an essential part of movie making. And yet they are also dependent on a process of production that is moving. And when that, when that, and, and and it's, it comes in flow. So one comes and the next one comes. So if you miss one, there's always another train, but when all trains have stopped, I think that is very worrisome. And so, so I know a lot of people for writers, great. Like we are having writer rooms right now, uh, we're having meetings, we're developing stuff. So I think a lot of, and I actually think a lot of the other creative people in other aspects of, production are now pitching things actually or coming to me and we're, we're coming up with ideas and, and things like that so um right. i think people are just expanding kind of what they do or at least more open to other avenues that that are not in their lane necessarily at that at this moment
0: right this is a time of incredible uh there's gonna be a lot of scripts around when you guys get back into production i imagine um, yeah Yes. a lot of a lot of it. what's well, interesting
2: the hard the, the thing that puts more pressure on it is that there were already a lot of scripts because everyone was preparing for this writer's um strike that oh, was wow. supposed to happen in right. may so everyone was already like getting surplus of scripts and getting everything ready for that possible pause so now it's like they have a sur- already have a surplus so are they gonna put more into that or not and i just think that that's but we also have a different world our stories don't I don't know if you guys felt, but watching stuff on movies or television when people are in parties and close together, it makes you feel uncomfortable all of a sudden. And I never expected that, actually. So it changes the way you make movies because
0: you know your audience is going to react differently, I guess. Well, I, I kept wondering whether or not, you know, we don't know how long this will go on and we don't know what the timetable of it is, but let's just say it went on for another year and that it was just opening next summer, just theoretically. I mean, it's going to be hard. Every movie that you're ever going to see is going to have to have some reference to this, in order for it to be tethered I to reality. I mean, <laughs> which is sort of horrible when you think about it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, let's talk about for a minute. Um, you know what you're seeing as creative adaptations out there. You know, I was thinking, okay. Green screens and animation are going to be a big thing for the next six months. I mean, maybe there'll be tons of animation because that'll be the one thing you can do with a kind of networked team. Right. Rather than having to have people on site on site. Or maybe you're seeing other things out there. What are are you guys noticing in terms of creative, you know, positive, creative uh, adaptations out there in the world?
3: Well, the SNL at home, um, uh, the couple of the episodes that they did, I thought was was pretty inventive and interesting, and and you know some of it worked, some of it didn't, but uh, was was pretty funny, and yeah. and you know I've seen a lot of um, you know actors making their own videos with their own. Um, uh, costumes and, uh, adapting things. Uh, I forget who the artist is, uh, John I know who's doing the sound of music, uh, reinterpretations of sound of music. And, um, and, um, you know, I just think there's an opportunity to not, not stopping, you know, to keep creating something, you know, right. and, 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 um, and <laughs> for that matter, keep people employed. There is editors cutting that SNL at home, and making graphics for it and uh the, you know um so I, i'm hopeful that something good will come out of all this you know i was uh john just recently did the usc uh, uh commencement um uh last week and they were saying how a bunch of the students um were being very inventive and uh coming up with their thesis projects and i I don't know there's something really interesting about that right they'll be at the
0: vanguard these students you talk to john they're going to be in the vanguard of adapting to this i mean they're already Mm -hmm. probably sort of have it built in with the social media video and are you know instantly see how this can happen i mean um
2: yeah suddenly their skill sets of knowing how to do stuff all at home all by themselves as a one-man show is is going to be very very valuable yeah, um, I mean, we see it even like it's funny even on like the Disney sing-alongs. Like the, that's so fun to see uh, yeah. people at their at their homes to see uh, how inventive a star really is when they don't have all the production value. We're just yeah. watching The Voice, the finale of The Voice, and they all are in their backyard with like hue <laughs> lights in different colors and like yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they all. It, it's very interesting to see how uh, how these production. The, these you know big shows are actually doing doing it so um, right and, and there's still a charm you know it's really charming to see somebody try to be a star at home and and on a on a, on a voice competition show that we we are so we are so used to and we're used to seeing the audience in the big production and yeah, now yeah. you just literally hear
0: their voice yeah uh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, the Stephen Colbert without a laugh track has been fascinating Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and he can really pull it off. He's just his timing is so so precise, yeah. you know, you could see I, that
2: actually with you could see that with SNL the first time they did it. The second time they did it. Um, well, they did some experiments on the first time where they had some people at home laughing with it. And the next week they decide not to do it. But what they did was interesting in in the um, in the in the, um, the news section of their show, uh, Weekend Update, they actually, the jokes uh, ramped up more. Like they they yeah. were on more on top. They weren't waiting for a laugh, they weren't doing. And it was really interesting to watch how they adapted their jokes. Um, again, it's a different type of joke telling when you don't have an audience and you don't give it that space. Yeah, um, yeah. And so us as an audience also has to like laugh, but then keep listening. And so it's a, it's a different experience.
0: Well, I'm thinking now about, um, also some of the shows like the uh, Barack Obama commencement, uh, graduation, um, show that LeBron James produced and, uh, other ones I've seen where they are able to also integrate and sequence together musicians who are all in their different rooms together. And, you know, and it ends up looking like uh, the opening of the Brady Bunch meets <laughs> like Hollywood mm-hmm. squares, you know? Yeah. Um. But, you know, I can see the cast of like in the Heights on a Hollywood Squares sort of scenario, like totally. doing their, doing their thing. And have you guys been, you know, keeping up with, is the casts, you know, Zooming together and talking about the fate of the film and our, you know, what's the
2: yeah, well, We have, we have a group text that we all, it goes on and on and on forever and ever and ever. So <laughs> that's like 24 seven going. I told them, you know, via text, um, and also some phone calls, if anyone wanted to talk about when we got pushed to help explain what was going on before they read it in the press. Um, also actually, even like the week before I talked to them as we were having the discussion, just so that they knew that we we're not taking this lightly. Cause you know, when you push a year, it changes their lives for a year. Uh, yeah. they're expecting to build off of this movie and of now course. it's on pause for a year. So it yeah. affects real people's lives. So, uh, but, and then, and then we do zooms. Um, we had a crazy rich Asians, like live tweet session. And while we were doing the live tweet session, we had a private zoom with, all the cast. And that was really fun because we actually have a lot. We have, we also have a WhatsApp group for Crazy Rich Asians that is nutty, um, with our crew and cast. Um, but to see everybody again, and also everyone's on different parts of the world. So some people it was like three in the morning. That was, that was really fun. But it, it, we, because we have this time, it really allowed us to touch base again. Um, which is really, um, yeah, I don't take that for granted at all.
0: No, I mean, you're kind of in the morale business right now. You know, just trying to keep people's uh, dreams alive um, uh, until next summer. And, you know, next summer, quote, unquote, we don't know what that's even going (laughs) to hold, right? Um, Exactly. um, But, I mean, there is this sort of shadow, uh, and you hear it. You know, you'll you hear anything nowadays, you know, people there's the optimists. there's the apocalypticists, if that's a word, um, you know, will there be theaters after this? Like, are people going to want to go into theaters again? Or maybe they're going to be masked up the entire time. You can't eat your popcorn correctly. Um, you know, have you heard have people had these discussions amongst each other about what's the fate of how our, you know, of, of the theater experience?
2: Um, on my side, uh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That's not, um, that's not being ignored. What is the fate of, of, of the theater experience? But I am on the side of, we are the theater experience, so we're making it, we're going to make it work, and we're going to give reasons for people to come out, and, um, and we're going to be safe about it, of course. And to me, theaters, uh, the movie theater experience, while it may evolve... Um, I don't think it ever, I don't think it ever goes away. There's, there's the community experience. It's like sports. Like you want to get out and you want to be with people and you want to experience this dream in the dark together. So you all can talk about it and debate about it afterwards. Like, I don't think that ever goes away. Um, How and what prices and uh, what is it going to be the same as before? No. And I just think, uh, but i but i do think that um cinema has a very big role to play in our culture um has always will will be and there's big stories to tell and those are really important um to for us all as uh, as as a world to learn about each other and have empathy for each other and see stories that we aren't you that that are that we aren't used to seeing every day i think it's a huge key to unifying um, the world as it always has been. Um, And not just again, in your home, looking at it by yourself, but actually like being also with people to do that. Yeah. I have to believe in that. I can't not give up. I can't give up on that dream. And so our job is to give reasons for it to exist.
0: Yeah, man, I, uh, I'm with you. And, uh, you know, we need that, that sense of, um, of hope and, and thinking out ahead about and 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 frankly to your point i mean as we sit here and we grasp in the dark trying to grab, wrap our arms around the new storyline that none of us understands it's going to be exactly your world your art form that is going to give us both interpretation and understanding but also some sort of exorcism you know mm-hmm. uh, some sort of uh, what's the word i'm looking for like uh emotional kind of um uh, expression around around all this and make and have us understand what we've been going through right yeah
2: it's a valve that allows us to connect with each other like just to mm-hmm. say you're not alone in those feelings and but there is light like we myron and I always talked about like we need to take the audience into hell and then guide <laughs> them out step by step to show that there's light and, um, and 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 the reason why myron and i you know we first started working on crazy Rotations together and then we haven't stopped working together since then but <laughs> um, but with that one and with in the heights uh, and with home before dark it was always like now our movies it's really hard to go back for us because now our movies need to have purpose they need to have a real reason to exist that's bigger than ourselves, and so whether that's the fight for truth and journalism in Home Before Dark for Apple TV, or um, this uh, the story of America through this uh, block in Washington Heights um, in in the Heights, or um, an Asian American going to Asia for the first time and trying to find her self worth, um, her sort of going through this cultural identity crisis. To me, those things are movies that. Um, could only be made by people who really needed to get made, who really wanted to get made because we had to push every lever to get it through the system um, and also uh, helps the audience see a world that maybe they haven't seen before. It gives a little bit of understanding. So that, in a weird way, this pandemic shelter in place um, only reaffirms kind of uh, our, the type of movies that Myron and I want to make together um because it's cuz you know as we see we only have a certain amount of time on this planet and we only have a certain um we got to get people out uh to confront each other
0: otherwise we're all going
2: to hate each other
0: so yeah yeah well you know i i've recently been thinking about um you know on the silver lining optimistic side of the ledger that yeah. this this virus is, uh, you know, it's the one thing that everybody on the earth can now relate to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, we were, uh, the whole sort of fate of our, of our world was we, everybody was sort of retrenching into these nationalistic bordered up kind of worldview and the kind of, uh, but suddenly we all have one big story that we're yeah. involved in. Um, and, and what, haven't we always
2: known that like, what's crazy about movies, it's like, you know everyone's like well no one could have predicted this no one could and you look at movies you're like i think every movie predicted an alien invasion at some point where the world had to like suddenly come together like that's part of the big epic story and yeah. that all the world borders didn't matter anymore humans had to come together and we are being attacked by an alien it's just not from above it's from within and i just think that like we are actually living that that is yeah. crazy to me
0: it <laughs> is it is truly crazy it's almost yeah, we're definitely living in this, uh, uh, in a Hollywood, um, dystopia. So you have to, um, maybe change the narrative from the Hollywood mm-hmm. side <laughs> and reverse engineer this whole Well, thing. humans conquer. <laughs> humans do will yeah, conquer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guys, um, it's really been a pleasure having you on. Thanks for coming to Inside the Hive. John Chu, Myron Kirstein, the team that brought you Crazy Rich Asians and are going to bring you In the Heights, a film that frankly, uh... I personally could use right now. Uh, it's so full of so much optimism and joy, um, but hopefully we'll get it and maybe there'll be some workaround where we can uh, get a look at it sooner rather than later. But thank you both for coming. I'm I'm just really grateful to have you and uh, thanks for sharing. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. I'd like to thank my guests, John Chu and Myron Kirstein, and of course my co-host Emily Jane Fox. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive. You can find those on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. And thanks to the folks at Cadence 13, especially our producer, Bob Tabador. And thanks, of course, to my sponsors. Please support them the way they support this podcast. We'll see you next week.